how does the show start? Oh, hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. And my name, dear listener, is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You're throwing me off with the addition of dear listener. I'm always like, ah, I'm Stephen Hilger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next, So here's the thing is I'm going to do it. I did it last week. I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to do it one more week. And then you're going to be comfortable with it. And then in the fourth week, then I'm going to take, take it away. away. Yeah, keep yeah. me on my toes, basically. Absolutely. That's always the plan here. You always change it up and I always keep it the same. One day I'm going to be like, who, me? It's <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> go completely off book. We'll see how that goes. Steven. What's up? Today is the beginning of daylight savings time. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, at least the day that we're recording. Uh, that's exciting. I want to mention, I got my first dose of the vaccine the other day, Hell which yeah. was like so shocking. Very yeah. cool. Hey, if you're out there and you're eligible for the vaccine, go get the vaccine. Yeah, please. We have a very limited platform, but please get a vaccine yeah. if you can. And uh, I don't know. Things are kind of looking up. It's nice out. Uh, it's nice. It's good. It's good. It's a good time. It's been really lovely in Chicago as well. It like went straight from like negative two to 60 degrees and like... As I always say, the minute it's like above 35 degrees in Chicago, everyone is like out and like naked and like, you know, music <laughs> is blasting. Uh, so that's been the vibe lately. I went to the lake because uh, I'm like right by Lake Michigan. Beautiful. It's a great time. Yeah. Um, but that said, even though it's so nice <laughs> out and you and I want to spend so much time outside, we sure are inside. <laughs> we sure have been playing Loop Hero. Yeah. Playing video games, yeah, specifically <laughs> Loop Hero. Which uh, you have played since the last time we recorded. Uh, I had played, yeah. I think, like three or four hours at that point, And I'm, I'm pushing, I don't know, 10 or 15 maybe at this point. Um, yeah. And uh, you've played you've played a little bit of it. I'm just curious, like before we get, I guess, just quick top level. Uh, you can go back and listen to the last episode if you don't know what Loop Hero is. But I'll just say very quickly, deck building roguelike game uh, that has some DNA from idle games. But really, it's just like a guy goes around and fights monsters and you change the environment that he fights monsters in. It's kind of the way it works. But yeah. uh, that said, how are you enjoying Loop Hero so far? It is definitely like popped off in a very big way since yeah, we last totally. recorded. It is like the game that I think everyone is talking about on every podcast which like yeah we frequently talk about how into the aether is not like beholden to new releases in any way shape or form but we sure so this did, is like, like up our alley it's like hades you know yeah like, but yeah loop hero is like very up our alley and um, i'm really enjoying it i i'm actually glad i got it on my laptop because if i got it on switch i think that would be more dangerous like i think if i had it on switch <laughs> i would not stop playing it because yeah. it is definitely one of those like one more run type of experiences where like it's very hard to put down once you keep going i'm with you like you mentioned last time we talked about it that like the the term deck builder and like classifying the game itself is like not entirely accurate and i agree with that i feel like i thought they wanted to call it a deck builder because that's like a cool thing now but it's like totally not really yeah. <laughs> like the rate in which you get new cards to like arrange your deck is like not very quick and the cards you get are like like either I've, after playing for like five hours, I have a swamp card, which seems to just suck. Like I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. That might be the point. It might just be like a, this is a stinker if you want to make it harder. Because like you have to fight mosquitoes who like are harder than vampires. More on that later. Yeah. Well, the the thing the thing about the swamp card, I'll just say this much: the thing about the swamp card is that you're supposed to pair it with the vampire house, so that if uh... a vampire tries to suck your blood and heal itself, it dies, which like kind of makes sense, I guess. But also, I don't use vampire houses really anymore. 
either. So it just makes the swap yeah. card like meaningless. I've to also me. never. It's kind of interesting. I always think about like in kind of fantasy RPGs like this. Like, what does the game consider hard enemies? Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating that vampires are like everywhere and they're like easy to engage with. Yeah. Uh, but then like goblins and mosquitoes are like fucking run, dude. Like, these are like <laughs> these are the pros. Yeah. Um, at least in my you know I, I'm still pretty early on for what the game has to offer. But it's great. It's really fun. I mean, I think like the the sort of like indirect approach at like a fantasy adventure RPG where you are controlling the level design and not the actual character, I think is really cool. And it's so like the presentation is great. Like it has that like 90s gray RPG vibe, but like mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel like stale. Like it feels very you mentioned that it's like it's like a version of pixel art that like created something new. Like it doesn't actually harken back to anything specific, but it feels like its own thing. And I, I very much agree with that. Yeah. And I just really like how all the enemies look like when you mentioned, we talked about last time how they always like, introduce a new enemy and like a dialogue scene, which like doesn't need to be there, but I love that it is. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's just, it's just fun to see like how they choose to portray goblins and vampires and, and harpies and stuff. Like, they all look really cool. And like even the lich, the lich looks just like sans from under, I'm sure that's been said before, but like he's <laughs> you're got the only the, like, person pop- who I've seen say that, and I really oh, love. Okay. I love this in the same realm as Undertale. Somehow, I mean, he's a skeleton, so like sure, but he also had like he has the same like jacket hood and like the blue <laughs> eye. I just feel like it was on purpose, and if it wasn't, I'm glad it's happening this way. Yeah, but yeah, top level, it's like it's great. It's gonna be it's gonna be one of the hits of this year. It's cool to see something so early in the year and like an indie game pop off this quickly. Like yeah. I'm glad games like this get the attention they deserve you know and i think like i'm at a point where my like inspiration for playing more runs is to see like what i can unlock and what i can build i will say like my advice in playing this game is retreat more often than f- it feels right to absolutely because like i was just playing until i died and i would lose like most of my resources so like the progress i was making in the town where you have to build stuff was like really slow so like every loop started to feel like really much very much the same whereas like if you're retreating and and building you're gonna get like new classes and new cards and stuff that will like really make things feel fresh so it does have like a little bit weirdly enough as as like gripping as it is immediately it does have like kind of a a rough first couple hours where it's like it's gonna feel like okay i'm kind of doing the same thing i did last time even though the loop is different i'm like not experiencing like new events that being said i think you'll end up i think the the best design choice in this game is that like things will happen out of your control as well that are not directly announced so like when you have enough mountains a goblin camp will show up that's not something you can like elect to happen but it's just going to happen because of what you've been doing yeah so so every what is it every 10 uh mountains or rocks you put down you get a goblin camp every two villages you put down you get a bandit camp things like that are going to start happening the treasury as you were about to just mention like when you open up the treasury it starts spawning gargoyles every day um if you put a farm next to a village it'll start spawning scarecrows who have maybe my favorite animations in the whole game they're just really <laughs> yeah the animations are great they're very goofy uh, i really like them a lot but i actually on your point about the opening hours being a little bit rough i i actually weirdly think like that is true and then you have this like 
this couple hour span where you're starting to unlock stuff and it's like really really wonderful it's like oh yeah. shit it's all happening now i finally understand this game and then there's another block which is where i'm at now where i'm not progressing at all uh which is like a little bit frustrating and it kind yeah. of gets back to i think my my main critique of this game which is like i'm actually i'm actually going to kind of uh, rescind one of the things i said last week now that i've played a little bit more of it i actually do think that you're not making that many decisions in this game in in certain instances i think like so much of your your loop is up to RNG that like I, I don't feel like I can make meaningful choices in a lot of instances like I feel like in, in in a lot of runs I am so at the whim of the things that drop that like I can't go in and say okay this is going to be a resource run or okay this is going to be a run where I go fight the boss because it really just depends on what gear drops and what cards drop and I think there's a there's a version of this game that exists where like the gear that's dropping, I am specking fully into my evasion stat and I just want to evade everything. And like the gear that's dropping, I'm just looking out for that evasion stat and I'm throwing up all the gear that does and throwing out everything else. And that's cool. I like that idea of the game, but that's not the reality of the game because there's really no meaningful way of like actually specking into stuff that I've seen so far because it yeah. really is so dependent on what's dropping. And and when stuff does drop, there is always objectively a better piece of gear than the thing that you have on you know it's it's either this is objectively better or it's not and then you don't use it and that's really kind of every run for me so far the, the only places where i'm really making choices are like when am i running away at the end of a run you know when do i yeah. decide to call it or alternatively where am i putting down the environmental cards you know like am i playing right. these synergies correctly and things like that and that's kind of where the game gets interesting and where it gets fun yeah um, but even still all i'm doing is still as i mentioned last week is asking myself the question can i make it another loop or not and if i can't i press the run button and like that really is what the game comes down to and i'm hoping that down the line and i think this is true based on what i've heard from other podcasts talking about this game once you unlock more cards and once you unlock more classes and things like that and, and you get the uh, you start to build up the camp a little bit more with some more with some more buildings and and they have different uh, abilities and different like things that are being unlocked because you're building up the camp the runs become more interesting because of that but right now i'm in this span of like i would say like five to six hours where like I haven't unlocked anything really meaningful that's changed the way I played the game. I haven't really unlocked any cards since I got the swamp even. So the runs just feel kind of like me churning through resources like every run is a resource run for me if I can beat the lich that's cool but that really just depends on the gear that I get and how confident I feel yeah. um, and and like that's a little bit of where the bummer of the game comes in for me and that's the thing that's preventing me from playing it as much as I think I would if that stuff was tuned a little bit better that said there's a really great game here and I think everybody should play it and oh yeah, it's incredible think, yeah yeah I do think we're going to talk about it like a lot especially like come goatee season because uh, I'm still going to keep playing it but the thing that's preventing me from playing it like all the time over other stuff is that is that like yeah i'm gonna go into this run all i really need are two bundles of wood and then i can buy this thing finally but i've gone through three runs and i haven't gotten any bundles of wood uh so like what are the odds that i'm gonna get one this time and like that's not yeah. fun really it's just grinding I, you know i feel like this game could definitely use like an update or two that just makes that a little faster you know like i think yeah. that the rate of, of acquiring materials you need to upgrade to make the runs like feel fresh it's like a little bit off that being yeah. said like this game has a lot of what i loved about ftl not in any similarities of design or aesthetic but in the sense that like it's so fun to be there like they've mm -hmm. committed so heavy to this 90s dungeon aesthetic of like these like gray pixels and sega genesis music yeah and it's just it's just fun to experience and i think 
the the kind of like thing you learn because i think one thing i struggled with early on was like okay do i just play every card i get is there any benefit to hanging on to cards stuff like that yeah it's to me what i learned is like it's more about how you are pacing the actual loop so it's mm-hmm. like do you want to put a bunch of enemies like right at the start do you want to like make it so that there's like little breaks in between like vampire mansions and stuff and i imagine that that knowledge will become like kind of exponential as you get more stuff i think that there are building blocks to this game that we can't even see yet it's absolutely but i just think I think, you know, comparing it to other roguelikes, you know, that are, that are, uh, I mean, like, I don't want to compare this to Hades because they're completely different experiences other than them being roguelikes. That being said, Hades is like constantly rewarding you for playing it in a, in a way that I think all roguelikes can learn from, you know, I think that like, even if you're not trying to make like, you know, an infinite dialogue, uh, (laughs) Greek mythology romance sim, that's like incredibly charming. I think that just being like, okay. What did I walk away from this run with? Did I get new knowledge as a player? Did I get new resources? Like there, there's just a few tweaks away that will make it like a little bit more palatable to like keep going. But all I have to say, it's it's very hard to put down. It's one of those games where like two hours will just melt away. Yeah. And that's the thing for me, yeah. too, is like I, I just the only reason I've been able to pace myself in my play is because I've been recording or streaming every session <laughs> that I've like sat down to do. And, and that right. means that like I'll do one run. And if that takes 20 minutes and that's the episode for YouTube, you know? Yeah. Um, but the instances in which I've played this game, not streaming and not recording myself are instances where I've played like two or three hours at a time because it really does just slip away. It's so easy, especially I don't know. Have you unlocked the second class yet? No, I'm, I I have like a farm. <laughs> 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 I got the swamp and like, you know, a few sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, the, the second class is a little bit of a spoiler, but I don't know, is is the rogue, which um, yeah. has a really interesting mechanic in which instead of getting gear from enemies that you kill, uh, you get what are called trophies and like you fill up this trophy bag. Uh, and whenever you finish a loop, you hand in all your trophies at the campfire and then you get rewarded for all the trophies that you've acquired in the form of gear. So you're not picking up gear throughout the loop. You're only getting it when you're done with the loop. And then you like sit there at the campfire and you just like spec out, you know, okay, what gear did I get and what stuff is actually useful? And weirdly enough, that becomes like more of an idle game than anything else. Like that's the closest this game gets to an idle game because you're really just putting down cards every once in a while on your loop. But really, it's not until you finish a loop that you're like actually thinking about how you're specking your character out. And that's really interesting. It's like the rogue, you just sit back and hang out and watch yeah. as he just makes his way around, which is bizarre. That's why I've actually been playing the warrior more is because it feels more accurate active and mm. and and i feel more like i'm engaging with the mechanics of the game yeah that makes sense i was gonna say there's also like another element of the game i'm enjoying is this like almost sim city vibe to it where like there's an element that is just pure aesthetic for me where i'm like where do i want a mountain like it doesn't affect <laughs> anything but i just yeah. like that the game like has enough wiggle room for like okay how do i want this place to look that might just be me because it's like my vibe but you know i like that that exists so even if it's like okay i'm not seeing any new enemies or doing anything new it's still like a it's still like a godzilla canvas for me to now rebuild upon yeah i love that yeah i almost wish there was like a little bit more creativity there but you know it's not it's not the game's intention it's just sort of what i am picking up from it yeah and i I think to go back to one of your other points it there is like an optimal way of playing it that i'm feeling at this point you know like every time i start a run it's like all right where am i gonna put my nine by nine grid of mountains okay where am i gonna put all my meadows okay what corner of the map am i gonna devote to treasure 
treasuries. Okay, you know, around the campfire, I want to build some groves and blood groves. So if the lich spawns, I can use the blood grove on the lich and, you know, okay, saving all my oblivion cards for when the lich spawns and I can wipe out all his castles, things like that, like just kind of become part of your like knowledge graph of how you're playing the game but that also does mean that you're just kind of in like autopilot for most of it uh and i'm really i'm really hoping to to get to like the next level of what this game has to offer because just i I guess a quick shout out i listened to the most recent episode of uh or maybe not the most recent but one of the more recent episodes of the waypoint podcast and and gita over on waypoint has played this game for like 70 or 80 hours already and and in her discussions about it she's like it really does become like a completely different game once you've unlocked more cards and, and oh, more cool. mechanics and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I just really want to hit that point, but it does feel a little bit like a slog right now. But uh, knowing that that exists and is in the game is the thing that's going to push me forward, I think. Same. I-, I think so as well. That's really cool to hear. I also just think this game's existence is like proof that we're like entering a roguelike golden era, I feel <laughs> like in a post-Hades world. I imagine this game, even independent of Hades or the roguelikes, will have a big influence as well like this idea of of not controlling the main character is like a really interesting concept yeah that i think you could do a lot with it's it's so abstract that like that can go in a million different directions but i think like you're basically building an engine in this game at a certain point you know mm-hmm. and it's like what other concepts can you do that like okay you're you're putting all the pieces in place as the thing operates independently of what you're doing yeah it's really cool you know and, and i'm excited to see like what else comes out for this genre because i think we have like a really big renaissance for in like the early 2010s with like FTL uh, and and Rogue Legacy and Binding of Isaac and stuff and they're like not as much other than like maybe Into the Breach and then it suddenly Slay the Spire came out in Hades and all this at least in our observation I'm sure there's like things we've missed but it just seems like it's entering the mainstream in a big way yeah yeah I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh somebody recently played Hades and is going to take that to a completely new level um and I imagine Loop Hero was in development you know long before Hades came out and stuff but sure uh, yeah yeah, I, yeah I am I am hoping that uh, we see some new roguelikes that really like blow our socks off or whatever. Knock your socks off? Yeah. Whatever it is. Knock your socks off. I am, uh, yeah, I'm speaking on a cosmic level. You know, I don't think they like directly influence each other, but I just think it's interesting that like sometimes like when a certain game comes out, you start seeing like a lot of games in that realm. Yeah, uh, I would love. Yeah, like when uh, the Prestige and the Illusionist came out in the same year. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly like that. Yeah. Uh huh. Which one did you prefer? Um, I liked Immortals: Phoenix Rising. <laughs> okay. Over Hades. Um, I think we'll probably end up doing. <laughs> I, that's all I really have to say about Loop Hero for now. I know it's not too much new. But I imagine once we get to that point in the late game, we'll probably talk about it again. Yeah, I think so, too. And if you if you want to see me get there, uh, I'm I'm still recording and or streaming yeah. pretty much every session great. I've had with the game, uh, except for a couple where I'm literally just grinding resources where I'm like, I don't need to be recording this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can head over to our YouTube for that if you want to. You want to go check those out. But um, outside of that, you want to you want to move on to something else? Yeah, that sounds good. I'm done with this. I'm done I'm with a uh, uh, farming goblin resources to fight sands. <laughs> All right. Dear listener, we'll be right back. Bye bye. See you soon. So, Brendan, as you and the listeners know, um, I played most Pokemon generations. I played red and blue, silver and gold. 
uh, the only ones I haven't played are Black and White of of the mainline series are uh, Black and White Two, which I want to get to one day because that has like a a cult following. I feel like, mm-hmm. and most notably, I haven't played uh, Ruby Sapphire Emeralds. Yeah. I played Fire Red and Leaf Green, but I never played the like core third generation entries. And I finally have, and I'm very happy to report that I am in love. I yeah. love this generation yeah, so man. much. I'm so glad to hear that. So yeah. I, I guess uh, a little uh, table setting before we yeah. even get into it. Uh, Please. Immediately after recording the last episode from last week, uh, you and I spent a long time on the phone because you just got a new computer. You just got a new yeah. laptop, uh, the, the new Mac. And uh, we we used the Patreon money to get you a capture card. So thank you so much to our patrons for allowing that thank to happen. Thank you. Um, and, and uh, you know, we just like spent a long time like setting up uh, like a streaming setup for you. Uh, yeah. That very closely uh, kind of replicates exactly what I have set up for uh, my own streaming setup, which is uh, pretty easy, some like plug and play kind of scenarios, which is nice. Um, and we talked a little bit about what you wanted to stream first. And you said that you wanted to do a Nuzlocke run really bad of a Pokemon game. And then you put it up to a vote for the listeners. Uh, and and the overwhelming vote pretty much was Emerald. Um, yeah, it was between Sword and Shield and Emerald. And Emerald, I think like maybe one or two people voted for Sword and Shield and like everyone else voted for Emeralds. Yeah. Uh, which uh, so it kind of like and clear. almost forced your hand a little bit to finally engage with emerald which is i think yeah. i think a positive in this case totally um, yeah. and and you've been uh streaming it a lot now that you can which is really fun you've, you've streamed like li- like hours and hours of this game already uh, there's a lot of content in a week yeah. and all again all that is on the youtube it's the links in the show notes you know where to go find that yeah. but anyway how are you enjoying that how are you enjoying streaming i'm curious about just in general um, and then maybe we just talk about Emerald because I've also been playing Emerald. Uh, watching your streams of Emerald has really inspired me to pick up Emerald and finally play <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. Because I yeah. played Sapphire and Ruby. I think I played Sapphire twice. I played Ruby once and I've never played Emerald. Uh, so now I'm like really playing Emerald, which has been uh, great. But anyway, I'm just curious like how you feel about streaming as like a thing. That's a great question. Yeah, there, there's like kind of three things I want to get to here then. So we could talk about streaming and the Nuzlocke itself and then mm-hmm. like the game itself and the generation and where I think it fits in with the overall series yeah yeah yeah. i've been loving streaming i mean i i always really enjoy it and i think this new setup has been great because before now i had to only stream through ps4 which is fine but like there's not really a lot of room for creativity in terms of the display and also yeah. like you're kind of at the whim of how the ps4 is feeling so if it's like <laughs> think kind of thinking of its own mortality it might just like turn into squares for a second yeah though that, that seems to be part of the course for streaming but i mean we've had some great times on the ps4 and i probably will continue streaming stuff from the ps4 but like via my computer now it's a play with said i really want to continue my final fantasy 10 playthrough oh yeah totally alongside the the nuzlocke run that has been like my favorite current stream mm. and then once october rolls around yes i'm planning for halloween uh seven months in advance <laughs> i will probably be doing more like uh scary game stuff and i'm gonna dress as the joker <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. (laughs) I want to resume my Bloodborne playthrough with Friday Blood come October. That'll be like my long-term goal is to finish that on stream. So yeah, the, the Nuzlocke stream has really been, I think... What I've been wanting to do for so long, I mean, literally, I've been wanting to stream a Nuzlocke run for a long time. And for those who don't know what that means, a Nuzlocke run of Pokemon is when you you have to follow two core rules. People add and and subtract some things as they go to make it unique, but there are two rules you have to follow to, to say it's a Nuzlocke run. One is that whenever a Pokemon of yours faints, you cannot use them anymore. So the original rule said you have to deposit them and then release them. 
I amend that a little bit by just keeping them in storage permanently. Yeah, you have a box in your storage that you named Heroes, which I really yeah, love. <laughs> there's like a Valhalla PC box. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, it's it's like Fire Emblem permadeath for your Pokemon team. And the other rule is that you can only catch the first Pokemon you encounter in a new area. So like, if I'm on Route 1 and I run into a Pidgey, that's the Pokemon I can catch from Route 1. If I knock it out or run away, I've lost the opportunity to get a new teammate. So what ends up happening is that you end up using a roster that is like really unique and you end up getting really attached to them. And when someone faints, it's like it's heartbreaking every time. Yeah. I like instantly regret even doing it when I lose someone. But it's been really fun. I mean, I won't spoil what has happened. We're on the second gym currently. It's been an emotional roller coaster, but we're we're going. We're still going. I'm also doing it where if my team gets wiped out, it's a game over. So like, even if I have extras on the bench, if I if I white out and lose half my money, that's the end of the run. So we yeah. haven't had that happen yet, which is great because like we sure came close at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that that's all on YouTube, and and I'm actually gonna be streaming that um, again this week. Uh, I think if I lose the run, I might like we've had enough installments now that I'll probably end it if I if I lose like prematurely. But I'll probably do like another one with another game at some point in time. Mm. But it's been really cool. It's been exactly what I wanted it to be, and I appreciate everyone who's been like really enthusiastic about it which is cool to see and just you know playing around with with different displays and stuff has been really cool um i'll probably draw my team at one point you know stuff like that yeah it it has been a a pretty mortifying thing to watch i think i think (laughs) The, the idea of a Nuzlocke, I think, is so, like, antithetical to the, what I want to do with Pokemon specifically, but I love watching Nuzlocke runs. Yeah. And yours in particular has just been, like, uh, like a rocky adjacent drama the whole time. Uh, and really you're only on the is. second gym, too, and it's still been, like, exhilarating to watch. It really imbues Pokemon with this, like, real sense of... Uh, I don't know, just like the highest highs and the lowest lows possible, I think. It it, it, yes. it adds so much to the story of your yes. own game. Um that that is like completely in your own hands. And I, I really appreciate that as like a viewer. As a person who is playing the game, I, I want to be perfectly clear. When I started my run of Emerald or when I started playing Emerald, I was like, maybe I'll do a Nuzlocke too. And I immediately got like completely wiped out by one of the early trainers. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Maybe not, actually. <laughs> I just bailed yeah. on it. Um, I'll I'll say that anyone listening who's like curious about doing their own Nuzlocke run, I think that X and Y is a great one to start with because it's a little easier. That's what I've often heard is a really good one. People, so like Nuzlocke started with Emerald, if I'm not mistaken. It did, yeah, or Ruby Sapphire. It was like someone did like a comic of the experience back in like the early 2000s. Yeah, uh, but I but I have also heard that X and Y is actually the best one to start with. So like although you know Ruby Sapphire Emerald is maybe like the the can't the canonical way of doing a nuzlocke um yeah x and y x and y is great because there's a lot of variety so like you end up like it's really because some people will download like randomizers to like make it even more wild of who Mm -hmm. you can get but x and y is like pretty like i'm doing uh one of the additional rules i have is the duplicate clause which is if i run into a pokemon i've already caught i can like re-roll the area basically i can try again and see who i get next yeah which like has really helped us not have eight whismers for one uh but two it also kind of bites you in the ass when you like you lose someone you really found value in and then you encounter them you're like oh i would love to just like straight up replace you but i can't but Mm -hmm. that also adds to the drama because like i can never replace you know who (laughs) so 
<laughs> so yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's a really X and Y is great. And actually, there's a great uh, if you want to like get a taste of what the experience is, you can watch mine. But there's also Griffin McElroy did one like a few years ago in X and Y. That's, oh like, a yeah, really for Polygon. Great, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. I think that's like a really great way to experience like what it is and where the value is. It's like a very uh, again, there's a lot of highs and lows in that too. And I think he he beats the whole game like he does it, which is great. Yeah, but there's that a one lot is of, also uh, if I recall like pretty tightly edited also, so it's not like. It's not like yeah, the entirety of the game. It's like he, he cuts out some pieces, which I think is helpful. Yeah, that's yeah. a good that's I completely forgot that existed. But yeah, that's a really good uh, starting point if you want to see what it's all about. I would say if you if you're like, I want to do it and I was like run on my own, but I don't want to do X and Y. Don't do black and white because that game is full of surprise battles. You will end up in a new town and and will be like, I've been looking at this Ferris wheel and I want to challenge you. And I know you have one Solosis with 10 HP. And you got to start <laughs> over now. Uh <laughs> It's real. If you want a really hard one, it's black and white. Because also, the first gym is automatically the type that's strong against you. Yeah, and like that was actually know, my it, favorite. I didn't like that game very much, but that was my favorite thing about it. Was like, oh wow, they're like really, they're, they're just like finally catering to all the people who are like demanding that Pokemon games get more challenging. It's like, okay, yeah. well, here's this. Fuck you. <laughs> but I would say like a Nuzlocke run. I would say do like Gen two through X and Y because Sun and Moon I actually tried and it was a little bit hard because like the areas are a little bit looser in that game yeah um and then sword and shield is tough because like you can see them in the grass and then there's the wild area and like how do you count that mm. and then there's like you know but i think sword and shield would probably be better than sun and moon just because like it's a little bit more like the usual map and you could probably divide the wild area into like the areas that are called out yeah but at the end of the day it's like it's as long as you're following those two rules you can kind of like add your own variance to it so like make it make it your own experience and have fun with it um and I, the reason, too, I keep everyone permanently in storage rather than releasing them is, like, if I lose the run, I'll probably just play it normally afterwards, like, on my own. Oh, okay, so, yeah. like, I'll be able to be reunited with my old friends. I was going to say, if you, if you beat the Elite Four or something uh, in your run, I think I think you should resurrect all of your heroes from Valhalla yes. and then, uh, like, keep them or, like, bring them back so you can do the, the like, post-game stuff. Oh, yeah, that's actually a great idea. That's a really fun idea. But, uh, wow, what a great narrative twist that is. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 been a great time, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be keep going. We're really at a moment of truth with this third gym. I'm gonna be completely honest. Half You're on my the third team gym? is water. I'm on the third gym now. Okay, and half my team is water and flying type. Like <laughs> bo- like so, they half my team has a quadruple weakness to an already difficult. Like someone in the Discord who has been playing Emerald not as a Nuzlocke was like, it took me like 15 tries to beat this gym leader. I'm like, that is not faring well. Yeah, <laughs> that is that doesn't look good for me. But I think we can do it. I th- we've been given a second chance i think we can muscle through <laughs> so that's that's been the, the nuzlocke stream the game itself if you want to pivot to that I, i'd love to talk more in detail about because we've both gone on record saying that second gen is our favorite um we have a bonus it's it's honestly one of my favorite bonus episodes we did it was about crystal last summer yeah and it kind of like we both liked sword and shield a lot but going back to crystal i think that game really kind of sums up what i love about pokemon as a series and like yeah if you're looking for the best like single player campaign i would say that is still by far the best experience yeah and also available on the 3ds eShop, so you can like go get it if you yeah. have a 3ds which uh, one like of my $7. favorite memories of, of last year honestly is like just this one day i was like kind of feeling under the weather i think because of like allergies or something and i i just like put on a bunch of pixar movies and just like hung out in bed and played crystal all day and watched pixar Pixar movies like all the Pixar movies I hadn't seen I just like watched in a row uh, and played Crystal all day and it was 
awesome. It was so yeah. nice. It was like the nicest day. I have such a fond memory of that day. I uh, love that. Just like filled my heart with joy. Anyway, Crystal's good. Yeah, Crystal's great. And and the the leap from red and blue to second generation is like still the biggest in my opinion. Yeah. Like it really solidified the idea that Pokemon was not just a fad, but like an actual RPG series, you know? I don't I don't know if I totally agree with that because I, I would say I think uh, second gen to third gen is the biggest leap, but uh, oh, okay, we can get into it. In, wh- in well, what way? Well, what one of the things about the second gen is that it was created in in a kind of like weird vacuum because the first games had come out, they they were just being released in the U.S. while uh, Gold and Silver were being developed. So they were kind of, as we talked about in that bonus episode, they were building the second gen completely unaware of how big Pokemon had become or was going to become. Mm. And you're right, I think, that they kind of doubled down on it being an RPG series, which I think, you know, really works in its favor. And the second one, from a story perspective and a narrative perspective, like, I think really hits a lot of notes that have now become kind of uh, like tentpole features of the narrative in every game since then. And in a way that the first games don't even like even remotely come close to. Right, Um, right. But honestly, it does feel like a little bit like red and blue 1.5. Like it feels like they just kind of took a lot of the things that red and blue were trying to do and like actually made them work in a way that I think they wanted to in the first one. And it, yeah. and it knocks out of the park. I mean, as you said, this is, it's my favorite game in the series still, but when you play gold and silver and then you go play Ruby Sapphire, they feel like two wildly different experiences. Uh, yeah, I agree with in that. a way that I think only the game boy advances hardware was like capable of, reproducing totally I, I i think in terms of presentation you're absolutely right like this is i think that so i'll say that at this point in time i think i played enough of emerald to like kind of gauge where it is and i would say it's the runner-up for me I, I would say it's it's the second best generation yeah and i think it's the best looking like the sprites are like gorgeous the, the game boy advance aesthetic i think has just aged so superbly in general and there's yeah. like this is i think the only po- other than I think Silver and Gold and Ruby Sapphire are like the only two Pokemon games that like push the hardware to its limit to to produce a visual effect. Yeah. No other game since has they've done the opposite basically <laughs> since then, uh, which I understand why because now they have like a purposeful aesthetic. So like I don't blame them, but like while playing Emerald, I often just like gasp at the things that they're pulling off in this game. Like the reflections of yourself in the water are like really well done yeah um, just yeah, the color palette in general i love how like, they call it out too like there are a couple of characters yeah. in the game who will like mention that there's like hey it's like literally the developers being like did you see this yeah you see what, right. we, you see what we did here <laughs> and and we talked about it briefly in our in our bonus episode from february about game soundtracks but this is also i think the best music in any pokemon game which like usually isn't a strong point like after after this generation the music is like kind of hit or miss like they don't really think about it too much yeah it's a lot of like reprisals of themes you already know just right like with some added instruments depending on where the the game is supposed to be located yeah so yeah, i mean there's classics from red and blue but i just think that the music in this game is like really actually great like i'm often singing along while streaming my yeah. emotional emotionally devastating Nuzlocke run. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that what I mean by biggest jump, so I don't want to argue too much, but I just think like looking at the actual like data here, it's like, okay, silver and gold added the day and night cycle, breeding, uh, two new types. What else? Uh, I mean, all of that is huge already. They split the special stat, which is like a little bit more specific, but like even just the day and night cycle, I think was like enough of a leap to like really cement what that game was trying to do. Yeah. I, think- I still can't believe that they didn't bring that back for ruby sapphire yeah it's weird that it's, it's sorely missing and i think there, there's something about 
but that's also kind of a testament to the game's differences or, or rather the differences between second and third gen because second gen has this very like chill understated vibe to it there's really no critical path like mm-hmm. there's kind of a story of like you end up figuring out like what the remnants of team rocket are up to but there's not really like it's really just you in the setting and like almost in this kind of animal crossing way just like checking in on like how the world is living around you yeah and i from what we know about like the region of japan it's based off of it's like kind of a older like more rural less populated area from what i remember you Mm -hmm. saying about it yeah um whereas uh ruby sapphire is i forgot the exact region of of japan it's based on but it's i think the southernmost part of the country where they're like near a volcano and like a lot of beaches so it's like it has much more summertime energy than like the autumnal vibe of silver and gold yeah and i think the game itself is much more interested in like being about battling this is like the shift where they start to care way more about battles than about like the atmosphere i think yeah even though it's beautiful but like they added the personality types here they added two on two battles they added the passive abilities which i think is is one of the best additions like giving a pokemon like a a ability that you don't select but just sort of happens in the battle like Mm -hmm. uh Mighty Yenna knows Intimidate, which is like automatically lowers the opponent's attack, helping me out quite a bit. Thank you, yeah, Mighty Yenna. That's great. Mine mine has uh, the ability to run away from any battle. <laughs> oh, that's Poochyena has that, which has also helped me a lot in the Nuzlocke run, actually, because yeah. you got to run sometimes. But when they evolve, you should get the other one. Oh, but, um, that's great. Yeah, they also added the Pokenav, which allows you to like rebattle trainers. So uh, again, focusing on on the battle aspect of the game, uh, you yeah. can go back and like continue to grind against trainers repeatedly if you want. Yeah, um, but it's it's great. I mean, like I also really like the both generations have really cool additions to the Pokedex. Here. Like, I think the designs are really great. I actually think that this lineup of starters is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'm not as into Blaziken, to be honest, but I love, you know how I feel about Trico and Mudkip is great, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think you chose Mudkip, right? I did choose Mudkip, yeah. Yeah. What's his name? Agent 47. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I started uh, my run, uh, like literally the day Hitman 3 came out was when I first started. So I was like, okay, Agent 47 it is, um, <laughs> which is fun. So like, weirdly enough, I, I think just to go back to your point on, um, on, on like the visual aesthetic of the game, you know, I've, I've been kind of getting into emulators and handheld emulators specifically. And the one that I've been using, uh, I've been playing like a lot of stuff, uh, mostly from the Super Nintendo, but also like early Game Boy stuff. I went and revisited the uh, my first ever game boy game which was uh james bond 007 um (laughs) which uh i i just want to shout out that game real quick i don't know why i'm bringing it up but that game is like a full ass rpg that is like legend of zelda adjacent for some reason uh wow i have no idea why (laughs) it doesn't make any sense for that to be what the game is like uh but it's a lot of like uh problem solving like kind of like dungeon exploration and it has the same thing where you have to like hop into your menu to like switch your items out for a and b fascinating game but anyway i've been playing a lot of stuff from like you know all over the spectrum of like older tv consoles but also older handheld consoles um and and as we've talked about i mean there's been some gba talk recently on on the show as as we've been playing some gba stuff uh and we're actually gonna talk about another game later but i think you're right this is like of all the games i've played recently this is the one that like really takes what the game boy advance can do from a visual perspective to like uh 
an extreme that I don't think I've even seen remotely close to in like most of the other games I've played. I've been playing a little yeah. bit of Golden Sun recently and like that game has some like interesting 3D sprites going on, but even still aesthetically there's some like, I have some difficulty navigating that environment because some of it just looks a little bit muddy. Like it's kind of hard to tell where like stairs and ladders are in Golden Sun yeah. for some reason. Uh, Mother 3 I think gets kind of the closest to, as we talked about, Mother 3 is going to be our bonus episode for this month, but uh, yeah. Mother 3 kind of gets the closest I think to what Emerald is going for, just in terms of like having a very clear visual aesthetic it's like really making use of the color palette of the gba which i think is just like stunning still like it really is, yeah. really is incredible but still like the art style of the of the mother series is a little bit more simplistic a little bit more like ms paint e yeah so like even though it has a very clear thing going for it ruby sapphire emerald is just like on a completely different level than anything else i've played it, it at moments it feels like if you like blur your eyes it feels like you're playing chrono trigger or like an old like 16 bit RPG that's like not Pokemon, you know? There's yeah. something about the specific art style here that I really, really love. I think the only game that might look better is actually the game we're going to talk about next. But yeah, like, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. It is it is really stunning. And I think like, you know, Diamond and Pearl looked cool too, but Diamond and Pearl was on the DS. They could have done a little bit more and they absolutely did not. Yeah, it, it looks, uh, I mean, it basically looks exactly like Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, but they just took like the buildings and made them 3D. Uh, and yeah, like the trees and they kind of muted the colors a bit. It's like, yeah. I don't remember it being as colorful. I don't know maybe if it was a different screen or not, but like it just didn't stand out this way to me. Yeah. I think because there was a lot of snow, there's a lot of mountains and stuff. So it's a lot of like just white and green. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited for brilliant diamond and shining pearl. Shining pearl. Ev- every couple days I am like hit with the reality that I'm going to be able to play that this year. And I get so excited over and over yeah. again. I'm so excited for those games to come out, Steven. I might do uh, a Nuzlocke of those when they come out. That, that could be yeah. fun. Yeah. That would be fun. It's enough time that I should be, for better or for worse, done with my Emerald <laughs> one <laughs> and have some time to either celebrate or grieve and then move yeah. on. But uh, I do want to play them normally as well. One anyway, other thing Emerald. I want to say yeah. about Emerald is that I think that Silver and Gold and Emerald also have like the best like paced campaigns like Diamond and Pearl, the reason it's like a little lower for me is Diamond and Pearl like went really like hard on HMs. So like mm-hmm. to get through the critical paths, you like needed HMs. Whereas the way HMs are used, and for those who don't know, HMs are moves that Pokemon can learn that affect the environment, but they can't forget them, at least early on. Later on, they made it easier, but uh, you like have to learn like cut to like remove bushes and that's like the only way you can progress to the next area yeah the way they're used in the second and third generation is really just to like give you some parameters of where you can go there's still an openness to both these games more so in crystal but there is an openness to ruby sapphire emerald as well where like you can kind of go anywhere for a little bit and there's yeah. just like certain areas that are closed off but After it the just first makes gym, i think there's like a complete split where you can go in right. two different directions the, the there's a character who pretty much just gives you two different directives it's like you can either go here i need you to do this for me and i need you to do this for me and you can really yeah. do it and, which I, I i love as a comparison point to uh the first two generations where like that also exists there but there's nobody explicitly telling you that you can do it so what ends up happening is you just end up like normally following what is the like i, I would say kind of like set accepted path for those two games yeah. this is the only one to specifically call out like this has been a thing in the previous generations but nobody really took advantage of it so we're just explicitly 
explicitly telling you that you could go do this if you want to. Right. And it's cool because like in the beginning, you have a friend, Mr. Briny, who I'm obsessed with. I hope he's added to Smash. Uh, he <laughs> has a boat that like takes you around different parts. It's like a yeah. very nautical adventure, which, you know, I like. But uh, it's it, it just after Diamond and Pearl, I feel like, you know, the HMs, like people were kind of sick of it at that point. But the response to that in black and white and, and pretty much every game since has been like, we'll make the map a giant circle. And it just feels less exciting. Like yeah. every, every game ha- since has been just a big circle where like, you know, I, I appreciate that they're not limiting your progression to like kind of arbitrary moves you have to learn. Mm-hmm. But it makes it way less exciting to like go through a cave and immediately be on the other side. Whereas like you can easily get lost in the caves and both these, it just makes the setting feel more real, you know? Yeah. Like even though it's still like a linear experience, giving you just a little bit of wiggle room goes a long way. Uh, and I really miss that in like every game since. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I think it's the second best game. I like it a lot. Yeah. I, I have a real soft spot for these games. So I, I've mentioned on the podcast a lot that uh, Diamond and Pearl or Diamond specifically is the game that I've played like the most of all of them. It's definitely not yeah. the one I like the most of all of them. As, as, yeah. as we mentioned, second gen, I think will always and forever be my favorite. And I think playing yeah. Crystal last summer like really solidified that for me. Totally. I, I weirdly enough, never play, Crystal, I think might actually be the only one uh, where like if they release the two original ones and then the third like complete edition or whatever, Crystal is the only one of those like third games that I've actually played to completion now because of that bonus episode Um, because I always play through whatever the original thing is and then I sit down to play the third one I'm like I don't want to do all this again because it's usually like the next year and I'm like I've already done this so I don't really need to uh, revisit it but um, that's why I'm glad to be playing Emerald now uh, because I've had so many experiences with Ruby and Sapphire now uh, that that seeing the slight changes that they've made to Emerald are like really shocking to me because I yeah. know them so well and I have a real soft spot for this game specifically because of uh, the 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 atmosphere and and the setting I think are so uh, are so wonderful and so stunning uh, and and I really love the vibe I think I think you nailed it saying like if gold and silver are more art- autumnal then this is like late spring early summer kind of vibes especially when yeah. you hit like I don't know if you've gotten to Slateport City yet but Slateport City is like maybe my favorite place in like any Pokemon game yeah um, it's an outdoor marketplace and like a lighthouse it's really cool yeah they they like uh, there's like a big beach at the south at the like the southern end of it there's like a shipyard and and there's like a lighthouse. It's really a wonderful place. And then you have things like uh, there's there's a whole town that's just built as like tree houses in a forest. There's a whole town that's just logs and like cabins floating out in the middle of the ocean um, that has some like weird mysteries going on in it. Um, yeah. The the setting of this game is just like shocking. I think in a lot of instances and, and like really just kind of goes to show how, how creative this team is. Yeah. And, and so many of those places are just like burned into my consciousness because of it. I just like, I love revisiting this game over all of the other ones because of that place. And because of how much I like, am just kind of, um, adhered to it, like emotionally, uh, yeah. that said, seeing the changes that they've made in Emerald are like shocking. So like just first blush, uh, they added the cell phone back into this game, yes. which was not in Ruby and Sapphire. Like you could not call other people around the world, uh, in, in the original Ruby Sapphire. As far as I remember, unless I'm misremembering, but I don't think that's the case. I don't remember ever being able to call my dad, uh, when, <laughs> when playing Ruby and Sapphire. So Your dad's a gym leader in this one. Yeah. Norman. Yeah. He, he's the fourth, fourth or fifth. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh, he's coming up for me. Gotta yeah. be careful. Yeah. Uh, 
he he's great. He's really good. Um, but but the ability to like call people has been shocking to me. Um, and a couple things here and there. Like I was really curious how they deal with having both teams Aqua and Magma in this game. The and best villains still. I love them so much. Really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like experiencing all of this has been really really cool. And I'm excited to talk more about Emerald as I get like closer to the end because as we've mentioned, um, the end game is apparently the thing that people love most about this game, and it's something I've never experienced as someone who like loves this generation. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited to see what the end game is all about. But I've been like yeah. loving playing through this game again, and I'm getting Me like too. my ass kicked, which I <laughs> am, was not expecting really. And honestly, I think it really just um, illustrated for me how much of these games. And uh, I'm sorry for sounding like a broken record with Nintendo and game preservation, but like. I so relate these games specifically to like playing them on emulators that now that I'm playing one like in on a handheld, it feels weird because I'm so used to being able to like just throw it into fast forward mode and like zip around and like grind that way. And now that I'm not able to do that has been really like kind of jarring. I didn't realize how much I relied on emulators for like playing older Pokemon games. But like the ones that I've played multiple times, like Ruby and Sapphire and Gold and Silver and Red and Blue are games that I like would just throw into fast forward mode and then just like zip around and grind so that's that's kind of like a weird thing to be uh coming to terms with i think as i've been playing this but uh i'm still like loving the experience uh yeah. e- even if it's you know me currently stuck on the second gym reliant on grinding <laughs> in a cave that i can't see anything in because i need to beat the second gym to get flash yep yep yeah it's uh god it's a great time i think it's also like you and I both really value like games being as accessible as possible. Yeah. But the Pokemon games got like really easy at a certain point, like mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, I know these are largely for kids, but like I was a kid when I played red and blue and I did okay. Like, yeah, you know, I trust children, children now are like coding at eight. Like I, they're, we'll be fine with this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually sword and shield, like I think bumped it up just a bit that it felt like actually like, a, like one of the best things about sword and shield, I think is actually the difficulty balance. Mm. Like it felt, I agree just challenging and, enough that you have to like think but it's not like you know uh as difficult as maybe the earlier ones are yeah i was really shocked i think it was like the sixth gym in in sword and shield like they really ratchet up the difficulty very suddenly and i was like oh shit i was not expecting this uh and then and then it kind of put me back into like old school pokemon mode which i really appreciated especially in that game too because like one of the things that they did so well was like the majesty of the gym battles so like yeah one, one of my fondest memories as a kid is like really prepping for a gym battle and like finally achieving it you know Mm -hmm. but uh i will say my last note on the third gen is i think and this might be a hot take but i think this is the last time the legendaries felt legendary like this is the last game in which like the actual mythical beings felt important and not like okay i use my master ball and i got the god of time yeah let's keep going yeah i i am so with you yeah so um i without i don't know if spoiling matters really or whatever but I guess just like narratively what happens in this game is you have team Aqua who are trying to uh, essentially get like the God of the sea to wipe out all of land. Um, if you're Wild playing Sapphire, yeah they, yeah, they they want to capture that Pokemon and make it rain so much that like all of land is gone and the whole place is just like essentially an ocean, like the whole world is an ocean. Um, and then team magma exists to pretty much do the opposite with the God of land um, and make it so <laughs> hot out and like create so much uh, like magma in the world that it like essentially creates an entire world that's just one big continent. Um, yeah. 
And in both of those instances, in both Ruby and Sapphire, I don't know how it's handled in Emerald yet, and I'm very interested to find out. But in in Ruby and Sapphire separately, in both of those instances, both of those teams get very close to actually accomplishing that goal. And it's very scary. It's like actually like really narratively terrifying in those moments uh, when that happens, because like at least in Sapphire, which I remember the clearest, it's raining everywhere, like on the entire world. Like they they pretty much almost get there. Uh, it's raining everywhere. It's very scary uh, as you get closer and closer to the point where like you actually have to like battle and then capture that Pokemon. And uh, and in Diamond and Pearl, you have the gods of space and time, which like should be really cool. Did we talk about this on the show or was this off the show? It might have been off the show, but let's say it again. Yeah. I think it's a good point. Yeah, um, you have the gods of space and time. And and in that game or in those in that set of games, in in both instances, the team that is trying to get either the god of space and time also get like pretty close to being able to capture them but there's no like world ramification there's no like consequence for that like where you're (laughs) where you're witnessing that happen in ruby and sapphire and like you see it start to happen and the world that you have like really grown accustomed to and like been endeared to starts to change in a way that like feels like it's going very south very quickly and you're like oh shit i need to jump into high gear and like solve this what happens in diamond and pearl is you like end up at I, i think it's called the spear pillar or something like that yeah. Um, and uh, you end up there and there's like, you know, whatever game you're playing, the, that God is there. Uh, and then like there's like some weird mystical effects happening, I think, in like the sky. But like outside of that, that's really it. You just battle them and you capture them. Maybe if you're, you know, if you can do it uh, and then you like go on your merry way and just like fight the Elite Four. Uh, but like imagine if they had really leaned into that and like done some really cool stuff. Like what if the time thing, you know, like certain towns started like zipping back and forth in time and like you visited like your hometown and it was like 45 years in the future or something, you know, like that kind of stuff could be played with, I think in a really interesting way. And they just like totally ignore that. Just like instead you go and climb a mountain and then there's like a, like a weird, like celestial kind of cloud in the sky. Uh, and yeah. that's like not as exciting. I, I, again, I don't know what happens in platinum cause I haven't played it, but yeah. there's like the, the God of like the void or like, like yeah, antimatter. antimatter. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like that, which I, I, I hear you like go into like an antimatter realm and like hang out or something. I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that sounds cool. cool. But at least in Diamond and Pearl, which I played, like they don't really lean into it as much as I kind of wish they did. And, no. and I think you're right. I think in this in these games in the third generation, they like lean into it so hard that it almost becomes like a horror game for like a good hour <laughs> or two of playtime. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think like uh, it just feels a bit more special. You know, I think and that's it's so funny to think about these villain teams like trying to reshape the world and reshape time. And then Team Rocket and Crystal are just selling slow poke tails for like a buck. <laughs> like that's like that's the big threat is they like kidnap some old man slowpoke yeah but that's also like so synonymous with and i think what's great about uh silver gold and crystal is that the legendaries are just dogs you have to like find in the wild you actually have to like track them and and like know where they'll appear um and it feels special when you find them it's like really exciting right in red and blue they they kind of have some like weird like very early environmental storytelling with mewtwo right where like when you're in one of the rocket uh hideouts like you can read some journals that talk about how mewtwo is created but like outside of that you would just like find them in a in a cave like way later after you've beaten the game already there's really no like narrative purpose that drives you towards Mewtwo. You just like, you kind of got to know you have to like talk to somebody on the playground who tells you where Mewtwo is. Um, (laughs) Outside of that, then you have the, it was me. Okay. I was the one who told you. It might have been. I know we were in different grades, but I was, I will say this about third grade, Steven. I was the first to bring Pokemon cards to recess. So I like started that whole thing. It was all my fault. Damn. Uh, 
my parents probably hate you then. Probably. That's why I haven't met them. <laughs> Uh, and then you have the three legendary birds who you just like run into throughout the course of like playing the game, which like, doesn't, yeah. that, like doesn't feel as exciting, but like still kind of was exciting. But like if you go and revisit those games, it's just like, oh, why is this happening now? Like there's no real reason for it. And then in, as you were saying in gold and silver, like when you finally find the three legendary dogs and they're like statues that come to life and then run off, it's like shocking. <laughs> yeah. And then you just yeah, see them really on cool. your map kind of like moving around uh, and you have to like go track them down. That is like an exhilarating experience going to find them. Um, and then the legendary birds also there's so much of the game telling you about the lore of those birds and, and where you're supposed to find them uh lugia and hoa which uh, just wonderful oh i could gush yeah. about this franchise all day and maybe we should stop <laughs> <laughs> i was just i was laughing because i was remembering where you find the birds and like zapdos is in this like abandoned power plant which is really cool and it feels important yeah articuno has my favorite setting we're in this like really weird cave that you have to like push and pull all these rocks like it's a zelda game mm-hmm. and then maltrace just like shows up like in a like <laughs> Like, you'll just run into Maltrace like, who's this bird? Yeah. It's just like a, it looks like a Pidgeotto sprite. And it's like, oh, no, I'm actually the legendary bird of fire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also like the idea that, like, in these early games, you only have one Master Ball, but there are, like, three or four legendaries. So you mm-hmm. have to choose who you want. Yeah. Uh. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's all I got. It's really great. If you missed this generation like I did, it's absolutely worth checking out. I have a lot of friends who are like now, like they're people who maybe only played Red and Blue and then kind of missed the whole series. Yeah. I do actually think, again, so uh, Sword and Shield is a great re-entry point. So like if you're looking to get back into the series, it's not a bad one. But if you have any way to play the older ones, I highly recommend playing Crystal and, and this third generation. They are by far the best of the series, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel that the more I'm playing Emerald too. Um, ugh, Pokemon's good, man. Pokemon oh, means so thing. much to the two of us, like as a franchise, that it's, it it's like it's it's hard to not just like make a whole episode about Pokemon every time we have to talk about it. <laughs> I was gonna say, there's also like the thing they add in this generation is like you can have a sway over like what catchphrases are popular, and it's so bizarre. They'll be like, "Is excellent customer service in right now?" And then like <laughs> you're just given like predetermined words, but, like hundreds. Like yeah. you go like people, feelings, emotions. So I am. They asked me like what my brand is and I'm beauty sweets machine. Uh, and then I told someone a joke that was a I'm walking here, but it was like I cut off. So it's a I'm walking at a. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great time. I love it. Um, what, what did I do? I'm just out of curiosity now that I'm checking. Oh, yeah, I, I said uh, <laughs> there's, the, there's the one bit where there's like uh, a girl who I think is like sick and and her dad is like I'm, i need i need you to tell me like a word that's gonna like cheer my daughter up and make her laugh and i i i, I uh, told him to say gabagool did it work no yeah that I, that's who i told am walking here and he's like it didn't have any effect yeah i wonder <laughs> if there's an actual thing that works and then uh and then when you're in duford town which i love it's like this little beach community that's like just on an island like totally separate by itself they're like, yeah, we don't like see a lot of visitors from the mainland a whole lot. So we don't really know what's popular. So could you like tell us what's popular? And I and I said that it was nose pass somehow. <laughs> nose pass is awesome. He's like an Easter Island kind of face. Yeah. Pokemon. I just yeah. love that somehow was one of the words I could choose from. And I was like, OK, <laughs> somehow is definitely going to be the second word. What's going to be the first one? You know what's in nose pass somehow. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I love that so much. Uh, anyway, Pokemon Emerald, I really love it. I can't wait to talk about it more. Um, yeah, I want to be streaming the Nuzlocke again after this episode, which means nothing on Wednesday when it comes out, but I'll probably be streaming it again yeah, soon. Yeah, it'll be on YouTube already, so you can go watch yeah. the, the episode that's even streamed. Yeah, It's been so much fun. So yeah, more on that soon. Cool. Uh, you want to take a break? Yes. All right. Yeah, me too, I think. Nose pass somehow. Nose I love pass that. somehow. I'm going to sign my emails with that. <laughs> All right. I need to get some water because I've had a lot of coffee. I feel exactly the same way. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Steven, I want to I want to tell you something about this episode. Okay. Uh, the the thing about this episode is that I didn't really know what I was going to play this week, so I just kind of let you be my guide, and whatever you told me you were playing, I also decided to play. <laughs> oh, uh, cool! I love I, that. Which was fun. It was a good experience. You know, Loop Hero already on the table. Great. You were like, "Hey, I'm going to start this uh, Pokemon Emerald Nuzlocke. Cool. I'll play Pokemon Emerald. Great. I would, yeah. I would love to play that game finally." And then, uh, weirdly enough, you mentioned that you were playing this game, and it aligned with another thing I was experiencing simultaneously, which I'm really into. I want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at the Besties who just did two episodes of their podcast uh, last Friday and this most recent Friday that was determining the best Zelda game of all time. They like made like a oh. bracket of all the <laughs> Zelda awesome. games, which I, I've been listening to the besties like since the beginning, like way, way, way back when, uh, before they, you know, like stopped and then started like multiple times uh, and are back in their current form. My favorite two episodes of the besties, like easily was this Zelda. Oh, bracket. Awesome. It's re- it's a really good conversation, I think, about like what makes these games what they are and like yeah. why they've had the staying power they have as, as a franchise. And like unsurprisingly the I, I think the dynamic between the 3d ones and the 2d ones and how they kind of compare and and you know what they were able to pull from the 2d ones into the 3d ones what it meant when they went back and started making 2d ones again after like already kind of nailing it with ocarina right. and majora's mask and all that stuff it, really interesting um and of all the games that they talked about um one of the ones that i have found the most interesting and one of the ones i've wanted to go back and check out again uh, because of that conversation was The Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap uh, for the Game Boy Advance, which you, weirdly enough, also just like started playing kind of on a whim this week. And I was like, this yeah. really just aligns exactly with <laughs> what I'm interested in right now, because I was thinking about checking it out as well. So it really worked out. And you and I have both been playing Minish Cap, and we are almost at the exact same point, which I think is cool. Um, I also recently, uh, because both my parents are fully vaccinated, which is also wonderful. Yes. Um, I went to go visit them recently. And uh, went and dug around and found my old Game Boy Advance cartridges and found my original Minish Cap cartridge. Uh, so interestingly enough, I actually never got very far in that game when I was a kid. Uh, it's a short game, which I think we're going to talk about. Uh, but I, I only got, I think, through two or three of the dungeons when I was a kid, which is kind of interesting. I don't really know why that is. But one of the interesting things about this game, and I think maybe the reason I didn't play so much of it, is that it came out the same year as the Nintendo DS. Oh, yeah. It was a later entry it, for Game Boy Advance. Yeah, it was like yeah. the last Game Boy. I mean, not actually, but it was like towards the end of the Game Boy Advance, uh, it, just like you said. And and I, I have to assume that what happened is I started playing and then the DS came out uh, and then I just you know moved on to playing whatever was on You're the like, DS. I'll, now I'll play Phantom Hourglass, the real hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woof. Um, uh, those games are rough, man. I, I oof. Uh, even back then i was like is this bad uh <laughs> before i even like knew what what a good video game was anyway that said uh it's been very interesting revisiting minish cap and i'm curious where you're at with it because uh it's doing a lot of things that seem uh specifically steven adjacent to me uh yes I, it is i have a feeling that you really like this game and i want to talk about it yeah i i absolutely love it i think by the end this might be one of my favorites ever Truly, totally. like, yeah. um, because we actually not too long ago we talked about the Oracle games, kind of around the same time we were doing Chris 
crystal, I also like when I was, you know, exploring the 3DS virtual store in 2020, mm-hmm. I was looking at what else was there and, and both Oracle games were like less than $10. Like, Hell yeah. Yeah. And for those who don't know, the Oracle games were, I think it was like right after Majora's Mask. It was on the Game Boy Color. I think it was like a Game Boy Color required game. Yeah. Um, and there was Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. Uh, what makes these games really unique is that they were kind of co-developed by Capcom or like there was a subsidiary of Capcom at the time called Flagship who did a lot of work with like Nintendo and, and other companies. Um, yeah. And they made the Oracle games and Minish Cap, which we'll get to in a bit. But I loved the Oracle games. I, I kind of knew nothing about them and, and almost weirdly like wrote them off for some reason. Mm. My intro to Zelda as a series was Ocarina of Time. So like for a long time, I've always been more drawn to the 3D ones. Like I eventually played Link to the Past on the Game Boy Advance port what that came with Four Swords. And I liked it. Yeah. And I, I respect the hell out of Link to the Past. That was the game that like made the formula. But it didn't pull me in the same way as like ocarina or majora or wind waker yeah i get um, that as a kid so i always kind of assumed that it just wasn't as into the top down ones i hadn't played link's awakening yet um i liked link between worlds a lot but again it wasn't like my favorite i just sort of enjoyed it Mm -hmm. so i was really surprised when i played the oracle games and i was like oh my god this fucking rules it is so fun and i think it it goes into what i imagine the besties talk about where like what do the top down 2d zeldas look like after the 3d ones come out yeah because i think Oracle of Seasons and Ages is doing something really unique where like I think both you know Link to the Past and the first Zelda are largely like you know the first Zelda is just like straight up like you're on your own dungeon crawler basically you know it had this idea of like rooms and you defeat the wave of enemies to go to the next room it feels a lot like Binding of Isaac in that way yeah or ra- vice versa weirdly has has a lot in common with uh, Breath of the Wild in a way in that it is completely open and you're given no right. guidance really um, and in Breath of the Wild they lean into it and kind of like make that a joyful experience and I think in the original Zelda which I remember playing way back when I just hated <laughs> that's, a, that's a brilliant point did not enjoy it as Breath of the Wild is like let's go back to like the root of the series which is like exploration and mm-hmm. how can we do that because Link to the Past set the modern day formula of like let's actually have a story you know that, that has like an interesting narrative and also like a sense of progression that's tied to the dungeons and to the items you get so like yeah they really focus on filling out the world in a way that made it feel lived in you know Exactly, exactly. And it also like just looked great. And at that point, the only other Zelda games were Zelda 1 and 2. And 2 was like a completely different spin on it that didn't really work. So... Yeah. Link to the Past is like the reason the series is alive, but I think I respect it more than I enjoy it. It's one of those things. Yeah, I actually, I haven't gone back and played Link to the Past since I became a person who likes the 2D Zelda games. Um, yeah. Where I, I've had kind of like a, a different trajectory, I think, where uh, growing up, I didn't have like an N64 or a GameCube or anything like that. So anytime I experienced the 3D Zelda growing up, like in those like more formative years, it was always like I was visiting a friend's house and they had it and I would get to see like 35 <laughs> minutes of it and I wouldn't get to play it all. I'd just get to watch and then I'd go home yeah um so i I, like never really experienced all that which is why i have such a hard time going back and playing those now i think but i went and played like link to the past i had the cartridge for that on on the game boy advance i had the minish cap one as i already mentioned i got four swords uh, not four swords i got um spirit tracks i got phantom hourglass on the ds did not really like them um so i had a really hard time getting into zelda when i was younger i went and played uh, the original legend of zelda like way back when also just didn't really like any of them and then link between worlds was the first one that i was like head over heels in love with i played that game and i was like this is 
unbelievable. And to this day, I think it's still my favorite Zelda game. I, I, I'm interested in going back and playing it again just to see if that still holds true. But I just remember playing it and feeling so immersed in that world in a way that I absolutely was not expecting. And that led me down this path of like going back and revisiting some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, most recently, I played uh, the remake of Link's Awakening, which I yeah. think is just like a shocking video game. Um, yeah. There's some stuff going on in that game that like I don't want to spoil for you, dear listener, if you haven't played it or whatever. I actually streamed and recorded that whole game. So like you can go check that out on the YouTube if you don't feel like playing it yourself, I guess. But you should because it's really like kind of like novel experience. It's so unlike all the other Zelda games in a lot of like really fascinating ways. And I yeah. think focuses on on narrative for for like a top down 2D Zelda game. It's focusing on narrative in a way that the other yes. ones really don't. And I, it's it's shocking. Um, yeah. That said, I am curious now that I'm like kind of more in that headspace of like enjoying that stuff, going back and revisiting all of these, which is why it's what took me to Minish Cap. But more specifically, I do want to go play Link to the Past again and see if I really have that experience. Because I, I think Link to the Past is doing some stuff that's like really shocking on, on the Super Nintendo. Um, and like, oh, as, yeah. you, as you said, is like the, the rubric for what a Zelda game became. So I'm like really curious to go play that game again. Maybe maybe I'll revisit that and talk about it eventually. Um, but uh, it's really it's really cool. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Link's Awakening because I think that the Oracle games definitely feel like the spiritual successor to them because it's it's much goofier. You know, they feel like yeah. Because I think at this point, like Ocarina and Majora's Mask are both like pretty heavy stories. They've got their light moments, but yeah, especially Majora's Mask. It's like, it's you know David Lynch Zelda game. <laughs> uh, Oracle of Seasons and Ages was like not afraid to kind of go back to a Link's Awakening era where it's like very silly, very self-aware, but still had a really great sense of atmosphere and story and like a really cool central mechanic, which I think is something I want to focus on here because in uh, ages, I think you travel back and forth in time, but in seasons, which is the one I played more of you, if you see like a log stump, you can change the season Mm -hmm. and that affects like where you can go and what you can do. You can ride around in a kangaroo. It's a great time. Oracle games, again, if you have a 3DS, get them. I really, really hope that the Oracle games get the same Link's Awakening remake treatment. I imagine it's like possible given that they're so similar, but who knows? I'm very curious about that. So one one of the things about um the about Oracle and Seasons that I think is really interesting. I think we talked about this in our episode where we discussed it, but um it was originally supposed to be three games, uh, and then they pared it down to two. They like axed one, and then they just made Oracle and Seasons. But the really interesting thing about those games is that um you can play them in either order. You're supposed to yes. play both of them, and when you finish one, you get a code that you put into the other one that says like if you're playing Seasons, hey, I already finished Ages. Uh, and then seasons will be different based on you having finished yeah. ages uh, and vice versa. You could do it the other way around, too, which is really cool. I understand why they got rid of the third one. It makes sense. But uh, one of the things I was actually just reading up on the development of that game and Minish Cap yesterday just to, like, see if there's anything interesting going on. And the discussion that happened in Capcom when they were making uh, seasons and ages and then again in Minish Cap was like the thing that they really pulled from Link's Awakening, not Link's Awakening, sorry, uh, Link to the Past that they thought was like really special and they thought was core to the Zelda franchise was the idea of traversing different worlds specifically yeah. they were yeah. like the, the fact that you in link to the past are switching between you know high rule and i guess what eventually became low rule right like what the they eventually worlds, yeah. called yeah. low rule yeah they thought that that was as core to the zelda experience as everything else which like i never would have rocked i think from having played all the zelda games but like is absolutely part of it which i think is really interesting at least the 2d ones yeah. um and that's where you get into minish cap where they were like okay what's like a new take that we can bring to this idea of traversing different worlds and like uh you know having a a new lens to look at the same place through which i think is really cool uh, yeah, and, and, and they fucking nail it in this game yeah 
it, it is like you hear it and you're like, oh, that's fun. But like, I can't stress enough how well it's pulled off. Like, yeah. and for, this goes back to, you know, the aesthetic of this game. It is, it is beautiful. Like the, you know, it has this sort of like pixel art top down Zelda vibe you get from most of these. But then like when you, you know, there's a mechanic where when you see again, a, a tree stump, you can shrink down to like tiny. So when you're on the map, you just see like a speech bubble that has Link's face. So you can see where you are. Mm-hmm. But then there are areas that you can only get to when you're small and it's like it, it's so imaginative and how they like have to plan for both realities so like the first boss is just like a common enemy you would find but they're like gigantic yeah. as little link and i really enjoy that like seeing the leaves and the mushrooms that you bounce off of as you like you know get into a smaller area and i think what's so amazing about minish cap is that while the oracle games definitely feel like you know link's awakening part two in terms of tone and atmosphere minish cap is coming out after Wind Waker. And yeah. it feels like, and this is, I think, a testament to the GBA no longer being a less than system, but its own system. It really feels like you're playing a 3D Zelda. You know, like even mm-hmm. though you have the top down moving to corners of the map, it has the same like floating action button that Ocarina and Majora do. It even has the same like link cries where he's like rolling around. Yeah. The fact that you can roll like makes it really feel like you're playing, you know, Wind Waker or Majora's Mask or Ocarina. And there's a lot of characters that just feel like they have the liveliness that you actually really want in a 3D game. You know, th- there are even some characters that are straight up from them, like the Carpenters from Ocarina are all there. Yeah. And and just like no interesting points to make. I'd have to say it's like such a beautiful game. The music's incredible. It just aesthetically like there's a point where you go into the woods and there are rays of sunlight that are hitting the screen that are like just represented as pixels. And it's so well done. Like it- it's incredible. And I think yeah. what's really great about this one is that you and I often, when we talk about series, we're like, okay, what is the entry point? I think this is a great one. It's hard to get, so it's not like, it's not like a sure thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. how do you get this game? But if you haven't played a Zelda game, this is actually a really great one to start with, at least in the beginning, because in the first dungeon, like they make it very clear where your objective is in a way that isn't annoying. You know, it's like, I think just having your sidekick, who's your hat, be like optional if you push select, rather than constantly being like, we should go to the mountain, you know, is like yeah. a great design. And just like, the intuitive design of the puzzles, it feels less like restricted than a lot of the Game Boy ones do. Like the the idea that like in the first dungeon, there's this constant mechanic of like grabbing a mushroom and pulling it back to fling yourself forward. It has like the momentum and verticality of a 3D Zelda. I mean, even directly evidenced by in the first room of the first dungeon, there's a barrel that you go into and like you run up it and it's like rotating in this 3D perspective. So like, even though it is a 2D top down Zelda, it feels like they thought of the world in 3D in a way that really benefits the gameplay, especially as yeah. you get small and big throughout the whole adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, just in terms of that mechanic and how they explore it, the most shocking thing about this game to me is when you go back to like the main town right outside of Hyrule Castle, or at least where you and I are at in the game right now, you can't really interact with it a whole lot. You know, you can just like yeah. check out the stores and stuff. But a little bit later in the game, like not much further than where we are. We're both like right before the second dungeon or I, I think. Right. Isn't that where we yeah, are? Yeah. 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 Um, I didn't know if that's where you were at too, but that's where I'm at. But yeah, that's where we both are. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> I think after you're done with the second dungeon, you go back to uh, that town, that like main town right outside of Hyrule Castle. And you have the ability to shrink down and like explore Hyrule Castle as like the shrunken form of Zelda. And those are the moments in which like of Link. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. And those are the moments in which literally every single 
uh, shop that you can go into. Like every single thing happening in Hyrule has like a miniature little city. Like every shop has like a little mini yes. town inside of it. And that is where the game like really kind of opens up and will like totally blow your mind. Like that's that's where it becomes this like, oh, yeah, there's a whole second world going on here. And I think it's a really ingenious way instead of saying just like, oh, yeah, you went through a portal. Now you're in like a dark version of the same place you were in before. It's like, no, this was actually hiding in plain sight the whole time. But now you have yeah. the means to explore it. And and the ways in which like, for example, there's a cafe in Hyrule that you can like go hang out in. And and when you're like, you can go like talk to all the patrons and stuff. I, I think they do a really wonderful job of making this world feel lived in. You know, every every mm-hmm. character in the town like has yes. a whole bunch of dialogue. It's really cool. They did a really good job there. But like when you when you revisit the cafe in the Minish form and you see uh, the the Picori people just kind of like hanging out in the cafe, they're like in the rafters. But they also set up a mini cafe above the main like Hyrule Cafe. It's so cool. It almost feels like Ratatouille in a way. Uh, Yeah, it does a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, I I love the world of this game. As you're saying, it's just like ridiculously pretty. And and I think that's evidenced by the fact that it's like one of the last Game Boy Advance games. Right. They came out. out. Yeah, but I I really really would love to see this get revisited or like released on the Switch in some way. And I I'm I'm yeah. kind of with you that like if they're gonna do a remake of the of any games, I think it should be Ages and Seasons. Probably that seems like the most obvious one. But like if they went and decided to revisit this game, I wouldn't be against them remaking it. But I would much rather just see this pixel art on the Switch. I was about stream. to say just port it because I, I love the art style of Ink's Awakening, but it's like a fully realized version of Game Boy graphics, which like is very cool yeah but like just yeah i just want this somewhere else like as is you know the really infuriating part is that uh nintendo actually released minish cap on the 3ds but it was only available to people who were uh 3ds ambassadors which meant that it (laughs) which meant that if you bought uh, the original nintendo 3ds and then you upgraded to the new 3ds and you had registered your console with nintendo you got what was called like a 3d ambassadorship program which allowed you to download a bunch of game boy advance ports that were only available to people who had done that and one of them was minish Cap. what the fuck isn't that wild i hate that yeah, no, me it, too. It's let me spend 20 dollars on this shop and download it on my switch that's all i want yeah it's money to be made but yeah, if you haven't played this one, I feel like this is like the one that not a lot of people have played, but those who have are like very like adamant about it being one of the best. And I can totally see why, you know, it's too soon to like rank them for me, but it's definitely up there. I would say like by the time it's over, I would I would guess top five. And what I love and what I really love in my in my favorites, all the games is like when you get a new item, it is utilized through the whole game. It sounds nitpicky, but I think it really aids the sense of progression where like it's not just a I need this for this dungeon and then never again, which Mm -hmm. sometimes some of the later like Skyward Sword Twilight Princess kind of get into that a little bit. Even Link Between Worlds to a certain extent, even though they let you get all the all the tools in any order that you want so you can go like experience all the dungeons. It's still like one tool per dungeon for the most part. Yeah. And and the items are like the first item you get is this like this thing that like sucks air in a direction and the uses for it are so plentiful. I mean, you use it to like literally pull away like cobwebs and dust and stuff but you can also use it to like remove enemies equipment you can use it to propel yourself in a direction if you're like on a lily pad when you're small like it's it's brilliant it's like i I, i'm kind of sad that this team i mean i don't know where they are now but like it just is a testament to to like when nintendo lets other teams like utilize their property sometimes like really cool things like this happen like your example you brought up where it's like they thought one of the core designs was the alternate world and it's like that's not something I think 
was really capitalized on other than by this team. Yeah, that's a know? really nuanced take on what makes Zelda right. Zelda, I think, which is really cool. So, I mean, you know, we have stuff like Crypto the Necro Dancer uh, using Zelda, which is awesome. Yeah. And like, I think that they're definitely invested in like keeping the top down Zelda series alive. And I think that Minish Cap is like, probably the hardest piece of data of like you can you can have everything you get in a 3d zelda game in this presentation Mm -hmm. you know that's like what i would say that minish cap is like you can have it all baby big and small (laughs) it's great it's so fucking good yeah it's very steven if i if i can be egocentric for a minute it's very my vibe well i was just even thinking in the opening moments when you wake up and zelda shows up at your house and and is like hey you should take me to the to the fair that happens you know every couple of years and uh and and it just feels exactly like Chrono Trigger. Trigger. Yeah, it, yeah, really it just does. feels like the opening moments of Chrono Trigger. I do actually really appreciate that there's this like kind of latent friendship between Link and Zelda also in yes, this game that's I really cool. That. And yeah. uh and and I think it's your uncle or your grandfather or whoever is like taking care of you, I forget who it is, uh says something along the lines of like, I know that Zelda's been your friends for a long time, but like you need to protect her because she's literally the princess. Like right. just don't forget yeah. your station, <laughs> my guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, which I I thought was like a really like kind of shocking line of dialogue for this yeah. game. Uh it was really cool. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I, I'll say this much. I know a little bit about what happens in some of the later dungeons, and they start to pull some mechanics from other Zelda games into this oh, one. Cool. And I, I think it might have been due to like development costs was like it was easier to like take some things that had already been established um, and like pull them into the resources for this game. But the way it's explored is very cool. And you're already yeah. seeing some of that in the place that you and I are at now where they have the um, they have the like little kind of tornadoes that uh, allow you to like go up and kind of fly around and you have like a you have like a glider that you can use to move around space which again you know feels like a 3d kind of uh movement mechanic yeah, that there's is a lot of verticality yeah yeah but uh i i think you're gonna be very interested in what happens towards the end of the game and i think you want to talk about how it's very short which i think is also like a, a boon for yeah. this game it's like 10 to 15 hours like total it's kind of interesting when you read a lot of like old reviews for like this era of games it's like always a complaint like the graphics aren't good it's too short it's like it's like you see that constantly it's like first of all this game is fucking beautiful You'll realize that in 10 years, dear reviewer. (laughs) But secondly, like, I think, I think, I don't know. I mean, it might be because we do this show and we have to play a lot of stuff, but I just think there's a lot of power in a game being 10 hours. You know, I think like it it doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't make you like revisit places like Skyward Sword does. It just like knows what it wants to be and gets out. And like, you're going to replay it if you want. You know, there's like so much beauty in revisiting a Zelda game. I think that's perfect. I think that's the way it should be. I mean, obviously... It's how it should be for a Zelda game like this. You know, Breath of the Wild being endless is like perfect for that type of game, Mm -hmm. you know, but for like a a dungeon based kind of Link to the Past adjacent Zelda game, it should be like 10 to 15 hours, I think. You know, that's like ideal. And I also, I think you're right. Like, I love the Zelda games that explore the relationship between Link and Zelda. That's why I love Wind Waker so much. Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Probably one of the best examples of that. Um, And Skyward Sword too, to its defense, the the friendship between Zelda and Link in the beginning is a lot of fun from what I remember. Yeah. Very excited to revisit that game. It's it's wild that we're going to be able to talk about Skyward Sword on this show at some point. Yeah. It's really like Skyward Sword is a good game until they're like okay go back to where you were before and it just feels like overstuffed so i think like if skyward sword was 10 hours and wasn't a zelda game people would love it that's my hot take if it was half (laughs) the length and not half the length and not attached to the series people would be like what is that cult hit from the wii um (laughs) 
So, yeah. yeah. But Minish Cap, I think if you're a Zelda fan, this is a required game. I love the Oracle games. I don't know if I would say, like, you have to play them. Mm-hmm. I think Minish Cap, you have to play if you're a Zelda fan. Yeah. Yeah, Minish Cap is up there. I think the That's only- a gatekeep, but just to have you enjoy it, you know? I think the only way to play minish cap legally currently is on the wii u virtual console or if you're an ambassador or ambassador? if you're or if you're a 3ds ambassador which uh, yeah. i don't think you can become anymore so you, you what have. if i send someone a check maybe maybe somebody will send you their 3ds ambassador 3ds <laughs> finally but i can't get earth because it's not a new 3ds no what it is, is a new 3ds that's the thing so the, oh, the ambassador okay. program was essentially like a mea culpa for people who had bought the the regular 3ds and then they released the new 3ds like right after it was like a, oh we're sorry that we already made the thing that you just bought uh obsolete here's like a Here's a little uh, plus one for you. Uh, and, and because the new 3DS, I guess, was a little bit more powerful, they were able to emulate uh, GBA <sighs> games on there, um, which like the 3DS can emulate a lot more than just Game Boy Advance Nintendo. We all know that. We're all very well aware of that. But anyway, that was the only way that you were allowed to play Game Boy Advance games on the 3DS was if you were yeah. an ambassador. I'm still hoping one day. I, I hope that we can just secret a virtual store onto the Switch somehow. I really, really hope. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer to the day that Mario dies. Uh, and I'm hoping that... <laughs> That oh, that's right, March 31st. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm hoping that he dies for our sins and uh, when he gets resurrected three days later, he comes back with a virtual console. Yeah, that, the that, it would be so great. It would be awesome. The thing is, like, they put so much time. There are a lot of YouTube videos you can go watch on this, dear listener. Um, and I've watched a lot of them. Let me just be very clear. But anyway, they put so much time and effort into creating all of these emulators for the Switch. You know, like the the N64 version of, uh, or sorry, the, the Super Mario 3D All-Stars version of Super Mario 64 is like, mostly emulated uh the same is true of of um mario sunshine like they kind of made like a gamecube emulator adjacent thing for that uh to to develop that to take the time to develop that for the switch to not port these games but to develop an emulator specifically for the switch and then not utilize that seems like as much as you can never guess what nintendo is going to do like that just seems like a bad business move to invest money into making an emulator to be able to port stuff from your back catalog onto the switch and then not use it but Nintendo makes a lot of bad business decisions, so who knows? I mean, you know, this is this this is probably not going to happen. But I think based on what they've laid out, dream scenario is that hey, Mario All Stars is only available to March until March thirty first because now we have a virtual store for Wii, GameCube, and sixty four, and the release of HD Skyward Sword coincides with like the ability to play other Wii games, so you can maybe buy like the non-HD for less. That won't happen, but that's like <laughs> the, the best case scenario of what they're doing. What will probably happen is like, it was just the cash grab and we're going to delete your save files. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there's actually a page on the Nintendo website right now that is like, yes, we are serious. You will not be able to buy this game again after March 31st. Which so is like weird. Really mortifying. But I do really, really hope that, that we get to see some kind of port support or like some kind of virtual store because I my guess if I if I had to be totally honest is that the reason we didn't see a legend of zelda hd collection we're just seeing skyward sword is that they're they're holding back the wii u ports of twilight princess and wind waker to eventually like release separately um yeah and i'm hoping that that comes with some kind of like virtual console scenario uh, that'd be great but i would love that i don't know man i 
Nintendo is so far down this rabbit hole of like, we have the NES Classic and the Super Nintendo Classic. Uh, we have this whole deal where if you're a Nintendo Online subscriber, you get uh, to play all these NES and Super Nintendo games that like, I, I don't know if I could see them just being like, and now we're adding N64 support to Nintendo Online. Like, I just don't know if that's going to be a possibility for them. I have heard recently, and we actually saw this with Monster Hunter Rise, they like redid, they like restructured the entirety of how Nintendo Online works on the back end. And I'm wondering if that's like prepping for something on the front end as well. Mm, like if they're going to change cool. something about how Nintendo online works from like a pure structure standpoint, which might involve them being like, we're actually taking away all these free games now. But if that's in support of them releasing a virtual console, I'm actually fully in support of that. I would yeah, much rather be able to buy fucking Super Mario Brothers, the original for the NES, than, uh, than get a tweet every six months. It's like, we added prehistoric man to your subscription. <laughs> That really haunted you. You've brought a prehistoric man before. Just like <laughs> it had been months. It's so emblematic yeah. of like, like, oh, who's excited for this? Like, actually no one. Like, truly no one. Yeah. Maybe like three people. If you're out there and you love prehistoric man, send us a tweet us at Into the I cast. would love to be wrong. Bonus episode next month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, well, the good news is that we'll find out at the end of the month, so we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that there's a Nintendo event coming either like first or second week of April. That's going to kind of illuminate what's going on with Nintendo Online. Airy season. Yeah, airy season. Hopefully, it brings a virtual console with it. Uh, I also, love that. actually, it is worth noting uh, you can play Link to the Past on the virtual console right now. That is one of the games that's available on you Nintendo can. Online. The, Maybe that's how I'll SNES. play it, actually. Yeah, the SNES library is actually really great yeah. on that, to be honest. I mean, Super Metroid's there, Link to the Past is there. I think Kirby Superstar is there, which is like easily the best Kirby game. Dude, in my yeah. Opinion. No, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's it's a good time. I like Nightmare in Dreamland a lot. I'll say that much, but uh, Superstars, where is that? Like Squeak Squad or what? Is that a real game? Are you, are you fucking with me? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> It's Sorry, real. there's a it's game a called game. Kirby Squeak Squad? Yeah, it involves mice. It's for the DS. Okay. It was one of my first DS games. Wow. I can't believe I missed it. I've been, I, I was such a big Kirby fan. I can't believe I missed the whole Kirby game. Let me just verify this wasn't a dream I had. Hold on. Squeak. Kirby Squeak Squad. Squad. Squawk. Squ oh, wait. Hold on. This is not it. <laughs> Here we go. Kirby Squeak Squad. Uh, it was developed in 2007. It's on the Wii U Virtual Console, so you can get it there. Great. Oh, oh full circle. It was developed by Flagship, the Capcom no company. Way. That made Minish Cap. Yeah, they made Squeak Squad. Wow. It was good. It was fine. You know, we looked back <laughs> at the entire catalog of Kirby games, and we realized the real through line there was that you could uh, hang out with mice. So yeah, made Kirby like, Squeak Squad. As we were playing Kirby's Superstar, we're like, this game's fucking great, but where are the mice? Yeah. We wanted this to be the Rodentia experience you always <laughs> dreamed of. <laughs> Let me inhale mice. Wow, Kirby Squeak Squad. Am amazing. Yeah. It didn't seem to do very well, but I sure had it and enjoyed it. It's like, that was at a point with Kirby where they weren't really sure what to do next. Yeah. Oh, and that's wow. kind of where Kirby still is. They also made uh, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror for the Game Boy Advance, which is another which is a great one. Great game. It's a good one. They also made yeah. Beck the game. Like the show? I don't or know. The it's, band. I don't know. It's, it's just <laughs> I'm on their Wikipedia. It says Beck the game. It's the only game on the list of games they developed that doesn't have a link that I can click on. Have you played Odelay Tactics? It's really cool. <laughs> have you played Enya Squeak Squad? <laughs> In the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey. It's like <laughs> mice dancing. <laughs> so, da, da, da. I 
I'm Kirby, baby, so why don't you kill me? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that we get a virtual console on the Switch. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting close. Mario That's dies in, uh, at least at the time of this recording, he dies in just about 16 days. So uh, we'll see. So TikTok. We'll TikTok. see what happens. Yeah. You want to wrap up? Yeah, I guess we should. Uh, hey, dear listener, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you so much. We say it every week and we mean it every time. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend who you think would enjoy it. If you want to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, that's also great. People have been sharing the show with friends recently, which is nice. We've yeah. actually been like getting confirmation via tweets and like people joining the Discord <laughs> and stuff saying like, hey, this person showed me the show and thank you for doing that. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm glad that people aren't just like listening to this and being like, that's nice that they say that every week. But like some people are actually doing it and that's that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, IntoTheCast.online is our hub for all our various social media platforms, Twitch and YouTube. That's the first time I didn't just say all our links, which is like maybe, you know, not the most accurate way of saying what it is. Yeah, it'd be very on brand for this episode, though. That's true. Oh, uh, it is. Uh, yes, it is the stump in which you can shrink <laughs> yourself and explore the digital web. Yeah, it's a very simple website. Only a few links on there, but all of them yeah. very important. Exactly right. Uh, it, it's a very important but efficient website. I will be continuing my Nuzlocke stream. Uh, I think I might resume Final Fantasy X eventually. But for now, I'm focused on the Nuzlocke. You've been doing your Loop Hero streams. Anything else kind of on the horizon for, for video content? Only stuff I can't talk about. Ah! Uh, secret, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little tease. Secretly, secretly recording some stuff that Ooh, will okay. materialize eventually. I don't even line. think I know about this. This is great. I'm excited. Yeah, uh, you do. But uh, we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> Wow, that was rude to me. Sorry. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Um, uh, anyway, that said, yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, I will probably move on from Loop here to something else. I've been enjoying streaming and recording and doing all that stuff more. So uh, look forward to whatever is coming next. I really want to play something on the Xbox again. I haven't turned on my Series S in, in a couple days. Dude, um, Forza? Maybe some Forza. I did download Forza after our conversation last week, by the way. I <laughs> uh, haven't turned yeah. it on yet. But I did. Uh, I, I sent out a tweet the other day, or I guess it was yesterday as of the time of this recording. I, I just said, like, what should I play on stream? Because I didn't know what to do um and i had train sim world minecraft peggle 2 and loop hero and loop hero one yeah but uh ever someday i'm going to uh just like affront everyone with a peggle 2 stream and it's gonna be great (laughs) also i mean in xbox news they just added every bethesda game to game pass so like just about i imagine i imagine a morrowind episode is kind of sneaking up behind us and like whispering in our ear yeah Um, literally the first thing i did when i I got the series s was i bought morrowind so uh, (laughs) uh, that that has been like a a lingering nightmare that i'm so excited to have Yeah. Um, also, our Mother Three bonus episode is coming up soon, so expect that like in the coming weeks. Yeah, that you and I are almost at the exact week, same actually. point in that game too, which is cool. Yeah, in the penultimate chapter, that will actually that should be coming out a week after this episode comes out. Oh, now great! That I think yeah. about it. Yeah, that's true. So expect that soon. Right on the cusp of Mario's death, we'll be talking about Mother Three, another game that has died at the hands of Nintendo. Riddle me this: I know you like secrets, but should we announce what our bonus is going to be for April? Or do you want to keep that a secret for now? Let's keep it a secret. Let's keep it a secret. That's a great Built to Spill album. Um, anyway, uh, goodbye. Wait. <laughs> oh, hello. I want to mention a game I've been playing. Okay. Right What's at the up? tail end. I like, I, like, I like lacing our endings with, with games that I'm playing. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. What's up? I'm playing Immortals Phoenix Rising. Oh, yeah. On the PlayStation I can't believe 5. they changed the title from Gods and Monsters to that. Dude, that that shift, actually, that change is so emblematic of what the whole game feels like. Interesting, uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to make this a segment. I don't want to talk about it too much. I just want to mention, I got this game like so wildly on sale a while back. It was like $20. Um, I got it for the PS5 because I wasn't playing anything on the PS5. And I was like, I need, <laughs> a, I need a reason to turn this thing on. Uh, and, I, and I've just been kind of like eyeing it in disgust. <laughs> and then, I don't know what happened to me this week. I was like, you know what? Now is the time to play like a big open world Assassin's Creed adjacent game that's not Assassin's <laughs> Creed. Um, I'll say this much. You would hate this game, Steven. Me? You, yeah. Okay. You would hate it. So, like loathed. Because you you have already expressed on this show that you're not a huge fan of when games tend to like lift things from other games in a way that like doesn't serve them at all, but is just like, oh, this is popular, so we're gonna do it. Like um, superficial, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we've talked about that a lot in in regards to like Souls like games, you know, like yeah. lifting the bonfire and fog wall, and like that's not the thing that matters here. Right. Um, this game is so blatantly doing what breath of the wild is doing which i feel like would touch an even stronger more angry nerve with you <laughs> yeah where it's like i don't get angry often but you're right whenever there's a piece of media that like learned all the wrong lessons from a source of inspiration where it feels like superficial like oh this is popular and not like we at it's the opposite of minish cap where minish cap was like we specifically were inspired by something you might have even missed from this game and we genuinely want to explore that yeah versus like what's in right now let's like just copy it and see what happens yeah and not that you can't wear your influence on your sleeve i think i think overwatch is a good example of like being blatantly inspired by tf2 but still having your own unique absolutely yeah you can do that there's a place for that but yeah there's you can just sense it when it's like it's not meaningful and it fe- it feels evil at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. I so I picked this game up just like knowing that eventually I would want like a big kind of meaningless open world to explore. What I didn't expect was <laughs> for the world to grate on me in a way uh, oh, that like made the whole experience uncomfortable. And that's very much what playing this game feels like. I've seen a lot of praise for this game and I understand where they're coming from, but Sure. The things that this game gets right generally are the things that are more uh more present in like other Ubisoft open world games. Like there are so many games, like I am a big fan of the more recent Assassin's Creed stuff. I haven't played Valhalla and I don't know if I ever will. It's kind of a less interesting game to me than Immortals because they're like actually trying to change that Ubisoft open world formula. But unfortunately the only things that feel good in this game are the stuff that they pull from Assassin's Creed and everything else they pull from Breath of the Wild just feels like they literally just ripped it from Breath of the Wild because they thought it was cool. Stuff like they have shrines like that, like you could just point at stuff that happens in Breath of the Wild and be like, "That's a one to one kind of comparison." So they have like shrines yeah. in this game that end with you getting an item that increases your stamina, um, yeah, you know, stuff like that. It's like that's not the thing that people liked about Breath right. of the Wild. <laughs> um, yeah, what the game gets right though is just like a really wonderful atmosphere and some really good art direction outside of sure. any of the characters. Yeah, it looks a lot, beautiful. A lot yeah. of the characters look like shit. I, if I'm being totally honest. <laughs> Um, I, this is why I'm saving this for the end because I'm being very uh, un, un, uncharacteristically negative for this show. But anyway, I think that I think the characters look really bad. I think all the dialogue is just like really bad DreamWorks writing. Um, <laughs> you like Shrek the Third, whatever. I just I, I just saw a bit that was like, uh, or, or I was just playing a bit like literally right before we recorded because I'm like trying to kind of like bump up against this game and see where the fun lies, <laughs> and I am finding some of it. But like, I just saw I just saw a guy who like I helped I helped him kill a cyclops, and he was like, "By Hades!" Uh, the the evil guy is named like 
uh oh god i don't even remember what his name is i'm just gonna say it's bill just because i don't remember but yeah, anyway sure. it's like by hades if bill paid my child support i'd work for him in a minute it's like why what is that supposed to mean why is that uh, like a- yeah no you're so right like the bad dreamworks is like when there's like a joke that's forcibly for adults but like doesn't fit the vibe at all yeah and, They'll be and like oh someone kicked me in the dick like almost at all times i've seen reviews where it really works for people and that's fine you know if that's the sure, kind of game yeah, for it's you all subjective right um but but the the narrative of this game is told between Zeus and Prometheus who are arguing at all times. So like you'll be in the middle of a boss fight and like Zeus will be like, that's not how it happened. This is how it happened. And like the boss will change form in some way, you know, based on like Zeus's whim when he decides to tell the story, which is a cool idea. But it's all cool the dialogue, device, yeah. yeah, all the dialogue that like backs that idea up is like really like hammy in a way that feels bad. So that that's very frustrating as much as I'm like enjoying a lot of stuff that's happening in terms of like exploration and open world stuff and like the ability to uh, get different items that have different stats and things like that. That's all stuff that happens in Assassin's Creed. And I got this game instead of Assassin's Creed, both of which were $20. I was like, which of these two am I going to pick up? Uh, I picked up this one because I was like, this seems like a blueprint for what they could turn Assassin's Creed into down the line. And what I'm finding is that like, maybe they shouldn't. Uh, (laughs) Or at least not in this way. You know, like, if you're going to change it, find your own inspiration, not just like what's in, yeah. what's new. It's just been yeah. so long since I bought a game and, you know, and I got this game a while back. It was on, a, it was on sale like forever ago, but I, I, it's been a while since I got a game and regretted the purchase, you know? Cause like, yeah. first of all, I'm supporting Ubisoft, which I told myself I'd never do. And I'm kicking myself in the ass for doing that. And I feel shitty about it. But also like of the two games I was deciding between, I definitely picked the wrong one. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's even worse. So yeah. I'm actually to to, <laughs> to add some positivity. I mean, I think you're being fairly critical, just just to say it. But also, I'm very thankful that in our th- almost three years of doing this show, I have regretted very few purchases. It's like really like two or three, yeah, which is kind of wild. So like, you know, I'm just glad that we're we're not running into that too often. And honestly, having someone like Game Pass really helps with that. If you're looking to do a video game podcast, Game Pass is great. Save you a buck or two. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, because there there are a lot of games that you can check out and then bail on. Um, like if I bought Forza, I don't think I would have brought it to the table. Mm. Yeah, there was no reality in which I bought Forza like full price, but on Game Pass was a great time. Yeah, I think um, I, I think a, a more recent example, just to get like a little behind the curtain, is like I played a lot of Cyber Shadow, that new game by Yacht Club, who made Shovel Knight. You know, it's like their next big game finally after like breaking away from Shovel Knight as an IP and like trying to like do a new thing. I played like a lot of that because it was on Game Pass and like preparation for an episode potentially on it. And I, I disliked it so much that I just like never talked about it. Yeah. You know? And and in those instances, I'm very grateful to have Game Pass. And I'm very excited now that all those new Bethesda games have been added to it because I sure am going to play through the whole Doom franchise. Very excited about that. Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, Doom, yeah. Doom 2, Doomer. Doom 64 is on there. Great. I'm excited about that. Uh, The other one that I I think is like uh, like a a bullet in the chamber that you and I are going to fire off one day is Elder Scrolls Online. Oh, yeah. That's like that's that's been our white whale for a while. It'll be fun. That's going to be a mess when we finally play that game. (laughs) It's going to be. That's that's like kind of thing. Why we've been putting off. It's like, is this going to ruin our lives? Yeah. Uh, So we'll see. All right. This is another instance like last week where I, I just want to keep recording, but we really shouldn't. Yeah, we, man. We've gone so long. Thank you all so much for uh, listening to the show out there. Uh, you can join Thank the Discord. Uh, go to TWG. What? I don't know. 
whatever it is <laughs> the link is that into the cast online it's all there just go just come hang out if you want whatever come hang out whatever who gives a shit <laughs> <laughs> all right goodbye everyone right, my bye, name bye, is Brendan bye, Bigley bye, you bye, can bye, find bye. me I on the internet that's an end in a panic yeah you're right uh, <laughs> my name is Brendan Bigley you can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley I'm Stephen Hilger you can find me at Stephen Hilger have a wonderful week play Minish Cap just like do it yeah I'm gonna stress that and Emerald play every game we like and say a prayer for be Mario be like us and say a prayer <laughs> I like that as a, a sign off. Be like us and say a prayer. <laughs> what a terrifying way to end a show. Okay, forget everything. Goodbye. Goodbye.